be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Universal Pictures, The Secret Life of Pets 2, Shiloh's Revenge. Meet Shiloh and his friends Cujo. Soldan, Dogbert, and Ren as they plot nefarious mischief in Mickey's life, <laughs> such as putting ketchup on her hot dogs, leaving her notes that OJ did it, and chewing on the electrical cord to her internet server. Then they go and drive Dave crazy by urging yet another remake of The Jungle Book. No! The Secret Life of Pets 2, Shiloh's Revenge, coming to theaters next summer. Oh. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And, and Mickey! Yes. Of Shiloh, how has he been? The little, the, the adorable the little, little imp, rugger, the uh, little rascal. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Um. Well, hi everyone, and welcome back. I am Mickey White. I'm so glad to be here with you guys this week. Um. Jim always traveling about, and Dave has been under the weather. Um. So our listeners may not know that, but I'm just glad to have my boys here this morning. And of course, one of them is Shiloh, um, the Wonder Pup, and. For those of you who have been following me um, in any form of social media, you've probably seen pictures of Shiloh already. Um, He's even been on the cover of some of the T-Jams. In the last week, he has doubled in size. And I say the last week because that's about how it feels. Like, I feel like every night he goes to sleep, he wakes up two inches taller. Is that normal? Like, I know pets grow fast, but are are you sure he hasn't been, like, exposed to radiation or something, Mickey? As far as I know, he has not been bitten by a spider, exposed to radiation, or had both of his parents killed in some kind of freak accident. Mm -hmm. However, he does seem to have superhuman powers or super dog powers in the sense that he's growing. And the thing is, I knew he was going to be a big dog. Um, Our listeners know, but for new people, he's a shepherd husky mix. Um that I had looked for for about a year. So I'm super excited to have Shiloh, um, and, and that's what his name actually means, is gift from God in Hebrew. And yet, when I'm walking him, it still surprises me when people look at him and they're like, oh, he's so cute, or he's so handsome. And how old is he? And I say, well, he's, you know, eight weeks, nine weeks this week. And people say, <laughs> oh, he's going to be a big dog. He's going to be a big Sasquatch. Well, yeah, I kind of knew that going in, but it is kind of like a science experiment watching him grow from teeny tiny little puppy to suddenly like he's already quite large. He's he's a little over twenty pounds. Yeah, right. I mean, when the urge strikes you to take that picture of them and put it on Facebook, and you've only done that like like eight to nine thousand times uh, the past couple of weeks. I'm just a Uh, little obsessed. I granted now understand it because you have to take the picture at that particular moment because by tomorrow he'll be twice as big and you won't have that photo anymore. Exactly. Uh I literally have taken a picture of him every single day that we have had him or had contact with him so I could put together, you know, a photo collage and it is unreal from one week to the next. Mm how large he has gotten. And of course, I I told you about this, so I guess I should share with our listeners. He outgrew his first crate. Um, it was the largest portable crate we could purchase, and we had him home three weeks, and he had outgrown it. 
So I realized we couldn't keep him in there when he got out the the last time that I had him in the crate. And he got out and had to like stretch and crack his legs kind of thing. In about a week. In about a week, he'll be using a tractor trailer, you realize. Well, here's the thing. So we went and purchased a larger crate. And this thing looked big in the store. Now it's in my house. It is larger than my first college apartment. Wow. And it's, you know, he's got a cover and he's got, you know, soft, comfy little pillows to lie on. And all his toys are in there that he wants to have, et cetera. And I look at him and I'm like, you've got a puppy condo now. There is no way you outgrow this. And the other day I saw him stretching and he was stretching from end to end and almost touched it. And I was like, oh, no. So in in light of uh, uh, the the, uh, surprising hit animated movie, are are you starting to suspect Shiloh is up to no good when you're not around or that he does anything? Or are you around him often enough that he just doesn't get enough chance to – uh, engage in mischief that puppies might want to do. I believe that he's plotting with <laughs> the cats because the cats are always doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And when the I'm cats here always want am. to kill you. Yes, the cats. <laughs> and, and, I, and honestly, I'm reminded daily by them that if you die in front of a cat, no, they'll eat you. <laughs> um, and I have four of them that live with me that I love very, very much, but I am absolutely 100% certain they are plotting my death. They already believe they've taken over the house. So I think at this point, the only reason the cats keep me around is because they know that I know how to get them their food. <laughs> the can opener. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's... The moment they figure that out, you're expendable. Hunt but until on. then. If they could teach the dog to feed them. I'm gonna be out. <laughs> that would be it. I have uh, I had five cats and three of them are geriatric. I've lost a couple in the past month, and it's been sad around here. But the other three are looking at me very suspiciously, like maybe they'll have to get even with me for their death. Yeah, like <laughs> oh yeah, they're like, what did you do to our friends? <laughs> Why didn't you bring them back? Mm-hmm. The and, and, Life of Pets 3, Kitty's Revenge. Yeah, right. I'm telling you. Now, you actually went and saw Secret Life of Pets. I, I did. The boys uh, expressed interest in it. And, and you know, we, we had talked about certain animated films. You see it and you just kind of, uh, this is not going to be any good, but I'm going to be dragged to do it. To see, see it anyway. I really thought this looked cute. So inform yeah. me. Um, pr- I would, I'd put it in the pretty good category. Um, it's made by the folks who do uh, Despicable Me and a couple of the other ones. It's not a Pixar one. Um, I would note that we've seen, it feels like, so I take the kids to the movies, eh, let's say once a month or so. Um, and I think we've felt like we've seen a trailer for Secret Life of Pets at every one of these movies for the past year. Um, so we kind of felt like we'd, we'd had it drummed into our heads. Um, what has it? What it has going for it is some unexpected voice talent, folks. You might not necessarily like. I don't think people would have expected. Hey, here's a cute animated film about a dog featuring the voice of Louis C.K. Um, as the the voice of the protagonist. Not necessarily somebody who's. Uh, you think of uh, a child movie. Yeah, you know Tom Hanks and, and Tim Allen and things like that. Also, Kevin Hart plays a bunny with pretty much is the living bunny embodiment of Kevin Hart. Okay, now um, see, now you're just making me want to see it again. It was, it was, it, you know, unexpected to see this cute, adorable, fluff. like, obviously they're playing the, the uh, against type and kind of the fun of this, you know, uh, little, little adorable white fuzzball that you think is going to be cute and harmless. And of course it's like right up to the edge of foul mouth. There, there's no bad words in it, but you can tell that I have a feeling they asked, okay, okay, Kevin, give us the, 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 the bad word version and then give us the G rated version and we'll try to take it down from there. Um, <laughs> So it was it was enjoyable enough. Um, I, I don't think it it's going to rank like a hundred million dollars the first weekend, making it the highest grossing original film this year, right? Yeah, it's it, you know, it is kind of so rare. So it's doing okay. 
Yeah. You don't see that many animated movies that aren't based on um, a pre-existing cartoon series or book or television Boy. series or yeah, or, you know, something like that. Um, it did make um, uh, pet ownership look like the most wonderful and natural thing in the whole wide world. Um, I don't know if we'll have the same effect of Finding Nemo, in which you'll see everybody going out and getting pets, trying to look like the uh, the the pets in the series. Um, there, there, there is a Did little bit. Did the boys bit of, want pets? Uh, well, he, yes. I mean, they, they've wanted it for a while. We have the allergy issue in the house. Um, to me, also the single larger you know issue of, of pet ownership is if I get the pet, I know exactly who's going to be walking the dog. I know exactly who's going to be scooping up any accidents, right? Mrs. Yes. Campaign Spot is very clear. Can we get a puppy? They look so cute. <laughs> you know, uh, you may be noticing a pattern of people in my life who, you know, fall, see puppies and fall in love. And I'm like, who's going to? You know, do you know what they do when they need to get rid of their, what happens after they eat? It's like, well, you can take care of that. No. <laughs> I would just wait until the boys are old enough to do it themselves. Uh, we are, we're leaning in that direction. And then there's the, you know, um, there are ways you can now get shots to deal with uh, allergies of pets. It's a five-year program, which they basically you know give you a shot every time. And my younger son is like, "Yes, I'll do that. I'm fine. Give me the needles." I, I you know, he's he's fearless uh, because he's so it. adamant about getting a pet. Jim's so. a sensitive guy too, so when he gets a pet and starts picking up poop, you can tell by the metaphors and similes in his articles and <laughs> editorial pieces. Once uh, once so poop is on his mind, it'll be in his work. Yeah. <laughs> It, it feels a little too similar to dealing with politicians. Yes, it does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, here's the thing. I am a dog. You know, people like, some people are like yourself, Mickey, are dog lovers who they see a dog and they want to hug them and they roll around on the ground and they're, uh-huh. you know. Um, and then there are some people who don't like dogs who, who are, you know, in it. I am a dog liker. That's I like Mr. dogs. Bias, by the way, until we got Shiloh. And uh-huh. now he loves Shiloh. He was a dog liker. He also, like you, felt that most likely most of the work would fall on him. He has been pleasantly surprised that I have taken parentship like very seriously um, with the puppy. But I think that that was his concern. But he also was like you, you know, like I like dogs, but I'm not the one. He's not the one who throws himself on the ground, as you said, and rolls around like I do. I will will put out my hand, let the dog sniff, let the dog lick, maybe pat a little bit. And and that's fine. I I am the cordial handshake level. Of dogs, I don't. And I'm I'm a little like, um, I, if you have a a wonderful one, I guess the, the other you know nagging fear, and I do don't bring this up to make uh, uh, to make this to, to put any you know anxiety in your life, but obviously you know Dave has recently dealt with this. When you lose a pet, it's like losing a member of your family, and knowing that pets have shorter lifespans than we do, um, you do know that at some point in your life you're going to have to say goodbye to a beloved friend. Uh, and you avoid you. Know, oh my God! You are such a wuss. Like, <laughs> the whole point of I having observe no one animals. feels this way about an ant farm. All right, no, 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 nobody feels this way about an ant farm or seahorses or any of the or even fish. My God! But the reality of the situation is, if you grow up with pets, you know that they have a short lifespan. You enjoy them while you have them, but it does teach you about life and death in a much milder form than what you have to learn about later in life. Hey, my sword tail ate all 90 of her babies in my aquarium, and I cried for days. <laughs> Can I tell you, my, I had my... a black molly that did that. I had a, a big fish tank whenever I was younger, and you guys are shocked. Um, and there was a black molly that we got, put it in the tank, and the next morning everybody else was gone. <laughs> 
That's the kind of fish I'm talking about. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay, so no more black mollies. Yeah. I, I should say that we have a chipmunk who lives on our back porch. So we, we have a quasi-adopted pet um, wild animal that, that lives in our proximity. Um, and we have foxes that are, are you know, non-pets invasive who come along and eat our, eat our garden vegetables. So we have – we live in wild kingdom. As is in authenticity, authenticity would. I, I, I want to say clearly to our listeners so that people understand you actually live in a suburb of DC. You don't live in a wild and wonderful wilderness that it is, is outside the Beltway, Mickey. It is, it is distant <laughs> enough. I can see we're going to have to get rid of me, Dave Perkins, and replace me with Marlon Perkins producing this show. No, nice. Oh, cuddly animal friend. Um, <laughs> one last. I'm going to say one other observation about strange animals to have in, in your in your house. So down in Hilton Head, um, my parents lived down the street from a guy named Joe Maffo. And the reason I mentioned is this month's Men's Health magazine, there's a short profile of him because he is the alligator guy. I don't mean the, the, the crocodile hunter. I mean like in South Carolina, if you have an alligator on your property or comes into your lagoon or comes into your swimming pool – Joe Maffo is the guy who you come to talk. So my boys, we were just visiting down, visiting my, my parents, um, and they go down to walk by his house, and he has his truck full of stuff. He has a bucket on his truck that is just labeled rattlesnakes. Uh-huh. So he's got you know, his, his big cage, his small cage. He said, he quotes this in the article, he has found, he caught a 14-foot alligator, uh, had to kill it, opened up the stomach, and found the remains of a five-foot alligator. <laughs> in oh there. So this is brought to you by the South Carolina Department of Tourism. Um, you know, I was going to say, Jim, there's another political metaphor for you. Yeah. <laughs> leave, your, leave your heart in San Francisco and a limb in South Carolina. So, yeah. <laughs> well, wow, we have been talking about all the wild monsters um, and animals in the animal kingdom. We will be talking about the monsters that have taken over the world. Some of us are old enough to remember when they were called pocket monsters. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back. <laughs> when that sun breaks out, lift up your head and shout. It's going to be a great day. Kellogg's waits for you. That spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day. Who's got something brand new you never had before? Who's got the best darn burger and a whole lot more? Burger King introduces four new specialty sandwiches. Chicken is a new filet, white meat through and through. Our chopped beef steak is U.S. choice. The ham and cheese is new. A great fish sandwich, too. Who's got the best darn burger and a whole lot more? New specialty sandwiches. Burger King and mine. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we are talking about the pocket monsters that have taken over the world. Unless you have been living under a rock, you know that Pokemon Go has been released by Nintendo and either you, someone in your family, or one of your neighbors has probably been affected. Are you subject to Pokemon Go fever? If you live under a rock, there might be a Pokemon under it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so weirdly, like oh, somewhere on Sunday or Monday this week, all of a sudden, everyone on Twitter, everyone on social media, all of a sudden, it's like Pokemon Go came along and took over the world. And an ungodly amount of human beings were running around the world or running around their neighborhoods with their cell phones. And I guess the idea is that because of the, quote, augmented reality, 
um, because apparently reality isn't augmented as is. I guess we're going to have to test reality for steroids or something. Uh-huh. Um, you can actually see a you know little animated Pokemon in your at some spot, and you capture it. Now I'm I'm doing this entirely by the snarky media coverage. Mickey, you're now a Pokemon hunter, I understand. Um, at true. age, um, uh-huh. a grown woman, you're you're now hunting Pokemon. Okay. I, I am. You now are looking at Mickey White, Pokemon hunter, and I take my job very seriously, Jim. I once I got those little monsters in my sights, I went after them with full force, and I am all the way to a level three. For those people who are playing Pokemon, they just laughed hysterically at my piss poor performance, but. <laughs> The reality is I did download it. I did kind of use the show as an excuse in my head as in like, oh, okay, I'll talk about it on the show. And that's why I'm going to download it. But the reality was everyone was talking about it. I had to see it for myself. I wanted to experiment, experience it. I wasn't someone who played Pokemon back in the day. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a little too old for that. But I was fascinated by everyone else playing it and the augmented reality, as you mentioned, which literally, because you're giving access to your phone, your GPS, et cetera, obviously there are some concerns about data being shared. I don't care. My data isn't worth anything at this point. Um, So anyway, you pull it up on your phone and it tracks you as you're moving through your neighborhood, as you're walking, as you're driving, and suddenly you'll see that there's like a Pokemon off to the side and you can try to, you know, reach at it. And if you can get it within your realm, then you can battle the Pokemon and try to capture it. And the funniest part was at one point I was in the car with Mr. Bias. He's driving. I'm playing Pokemon because, of course. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's one on your shoulder. Psh, psh, psh. And he's like, what? What? What's on my shoulder? I'm like, he's, he's wiping at it like he's looking for a bug or something. Exactly. Like, what? Is it dandruff or something? Wait, what? You know. <laughs> Meanwhile... When he went to the store yesterday, I did go with him, and I was the adult walking around the parking lot aimlessly. And for those of you, again, who have been under a rock, maybe you've missed some of these stories, but I am absolutely in love with all of the Pokemon to Go stories that have come out of the people wandering around aimlessly in their neighborhoods. Um, One woman has found a dead body. (laughs) One person, um, yes, one person was able to capture someone who was on the FBI most wanted list or something. (laughs) You should get a lot of points for that one. That's yeah, like really. Up a level. Um, several people, you know, there were, there have been so many things that have happened because people have left their house that it's kind of amazing, in my opinion. Um, some people have been, you know, led to crime scenes, led to other different things. It's insane, really. But I found an Iman Al Zawahiri. How much is that one worth? Right, I imagine that one's a huge one. But it's it's absolutely amazing to me that it took a video game, the same thing that brought our kids inside. To get them outside. Because now you can look out your window and just see people walking around. And kids specifically, which let's face it, you know, they're kind of known for sitting on their couches as of late. So the idea that they're up and walking is really cool. Problem is they need to look up from their phone occasionally. Because on Monday morning, the delight was literally permeating social media. As people witnessed people playing Pokemon Go... And walking into each other, walking into walls, bicycling into each other. Uh, someone has jumped out of their car and left it running, as in, like, didn't put it in a park. This is like this stuff in some sort of like you know, a, a wacky comedy. Yeah, trying to to to, to show uh, mass hysteria. This is the sort of thing that would happen in like in the Naked Gun or something like that. We're living down to the parody 
of ourselves. Um, this is better than we are normally. In my opinion, I'm kind of down with it. I, I don't mind the idea of people walking around except for the fact that, and this actually happened, you do again need to look up. There was a weatherman giving his broadcast, giving his forecast rather, on a local weather station and the anchor walked right through his scene and never even looked up. She was playing Pokemon Go and hunting a monster. You know, you could you could steer um, the Pokemon above ditches and stuff like that and really injure a lot of Americans, put them in the middle of highways, things like that. I'm telling you, if you're going to – well, and now – and here's the best part. There is actually an Uber for Pokemon Go. You can hire people to drive you around for 25 bucks an hour, which is more expensive than Uber, obviously. But for 25 bucks an hour to specifically hunt Pokemon so that you're not a danger to others. You know, Pokemon Go is going to finally stimulate the economy. I know, right? Well, and that's the other thing. Like, small businesses are tagging their own locations as Pokemon gyms, which you have to physically go to in order to participate. So, it's, you know, it's reaching out into different aspects of marketing and opening up whole new venues of what we are capable of doing with some of these online apps, which is amazing. I mean, you and I talked about Ingress on a show, I believe. Your friend invented the game for Google and with the two different teams. And I thought that was fascinating, but of course, never, you know, really knew enough about it to go and play. Yeah, um, the ability I- to do Pokemon Go is so easy because it's an app, because it's built for children, I've been able to figure out most of it. I did at one point run into a monster where he was evil, he was big, he had a paddle, and he took all my balls. And I didn't know how to get them back. I have now figured out how to get my balls back there, so that's good. Um, Great. Uh, You know know somebody out there, Rule 34, somebody's coming up with some sort of like adult-oriented version of it that uh, uh, will probably be every bit as big a seller. Um, Two observations about this. One, I assume this is all a giant cover for the NSA. Um, An ability to get everybody's data. Who wears a Fitbit? Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough, you know. Um, The second thing is I'm just reminded of the early South Park episode about Chimpokomon, which all the kids are being brainwashed to fight the evil power, and it turns out to be a uh, plot to restore Imperial Japan. Um, (laughs) The second observation... I do remember that, South Park teaches. Yeah. Both boys were into Pokemon for a while. They, They didn't take them long to figure out. When they're into stuff that I was into as a kid, Star Wars, superheroes, Transformers... Um, dad's really enthusiastic. I'll, I'll come and play with them on that. So when they're into Pokemon, and it's a bunch of cards, and they all look real weird, and there's these rules, and this card can beat that guy. Blah. Daddy is not wasting another minute, and you kids play by yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah a little parenting tip from the author of Heavy Lifting. Uh, but the second thing that I kind of observed from that, so apparently this came from somebody's, like the, the idea grew out of somebody's habit of collecting insects. And I'm not saying that Pokemon is bad. I'm just going to observe that there's something very Japanese, and I'm going to say alien, um, in the sense of being strange and different from our values. Because think about it. You, you capture little living creatures that are odd and have powers. You absorb them into this little red and white ball. You collect them, and then you go into some sort of arena, and you make them fight. Okay? This is basically a fantasy version of what Michael Vick does. <laughs> 
Am I wrong? Right? You know, Ash is the Michael Vick of uh, of the Pokemon world, and 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 every adult in the Pokemon world is like, yes, and you must continue to do this, and you must find the you know, Ukabuka one or something like that. And it just is this weird, like all of society is to- there is no Peta in in the world. I of Pokemon. wish to God I remembered who said this, but I don't want to give the wrong credit to someone. But someone yesterday, um, I believe it was on Twitter suggested that she wasn't familiar with Pokemon Go, but it certainly sounded like something that Hermione Granger would be protesting against. <laughs> well, it does, like... But here's... Because the, you make them... They make them fight, and then they, quote-unquote, faint. They don't die. One just kind of... You, know, you reach them to the point where one is so so beaten that they collapse, and and then sometimes they evolve into bigger, more advanced creatures or something. But basically, it's like animal gladiatorial games. And and everybody's just kind of like, okay, this is what you should do. And the entire, you know, okay, you alter- get their cartoons, right? They're not yeah, like real still- animals. Like Mr. Bison really have a little dragon on his shoulder. G- got it. Thank you. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> to, um, you know, lo- you know what, what you know Disney show. Like you would not see a Disney or a Pixar movie about someone collecting animals and make them fight, <laughs> right? This this is basically cockfighting from Japan. You could oh do God, scrat yeah. fighting, Pixar scrat fighting. Get the scrat from the from the Ice Age movies. Oh, yeah. You love scrat. I though. love the like scrat. To have his own thing going. They could fight over the nut. Well, and again, here's my thing with it. I haven't even really gotten to the point where I'm battling other people yet. As I said, level three is not something to brag about. Um, but having said that, just the experience of going out and. Again, I don't know that I'll ever even continue to play this much longer. Maybe I will. But I do find it interesting that you look at the pictures of Central Park and you look at places over the weekend where people are out and about with their families, with their friends playing. And it's kind of a nice juxtaposition to everything else that's going on in the world. So I'm all team Pokemon Go and keep those Pokemon Go stories coming because honest to God, like they are the best. I actually have a specific Google alert now just for Pokemon Go stories. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I can see when future history books look back on this. America was in a dark place in 2016, deeply divided, violent, angry, in despair over terrible events like Dallas. And then a game taught them they could find... They could fight little nasty creatures who wanted to, you know, fly like turtles with wings or something like and that. And they could fight them together. Um, Unity. <laughs> yeah, it brought Unity. us all together to fight to fight the evil power. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll be taking away, stepping away from this bright, cheery, happy animal fighting uh, or you know, myth, mythical animal fighting game to turn to yet another dark offering from the good folks at HBO, The Night Of, right after this. Chicka licking. I'd like. We're closed, lady. My cousin's dropped in. Lady, I'm mopping up. What are you mopping with? What am I mopping with? What kind of cleanup? A liquid. Make some spick and span. Spick and span? Wanna get home? It'll put power in the water. Go over where you just clean. But it's clean. Look, spick and span wouldn't leave all that greasy dirt. Hey, thanks, lady. If there's anything I could ever do for you. I have these cousins who dropped in. Spick and span gets the dirt liquid cleaners leave behind. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And if you're like me, tuning in to your regular serving of naked beheadings on the Game of Thrones, um, you probably have seen an ominous, strange, dark commercial for an upcoming series on HBO entitled The Night Of. It takes place in a 
grim series of alleys and dark streets of New York City, a dark interrogation room where dark police contemplate some of the, poss- the strange happenings and odd behavior of a taxicab driver in darkness. Apparently, much like the DC movies, it's a world where no one ever turns on the lights. Uh, Mickey, you seem yeah. really into the night of on HBO. So um, what's got you so intrigued by it? Well, initially I was intrigued because obviously it's right up my alley. It's a murder mystery. Um, you know, it's about law and order type things. Um, I, I saw one review describe it as a combination of serial, law and order, and true detective. Mm. And what I have to say about that is that appears to be what they tried to do. Now, whether or not this is accomplished as being a good series or not will depend on what happens in the next seven episodes. Because I watched the first episode, and while there's a scene, and I don't want to give too much away for those of you who have not seen it yet, there is a turning point scene in the first episode where your heart kind of stops and you realize, like, this is happening right now. Because it's a very slow open, which is, you know, relatively normal for this type of series. And there's a moment when it switches and you feel that immediate momentum shift Mm. and things start heading in an opposite direction. Now, what I will tell you is that our protagonist is a Pakistani-American. He was born here, so I'm not really sure why the focus is on him being Pakistani, but whatever. Um, He was born here. He was driving his father's cab and a chick ends up dead. I'm not going to give away the plot of the story, but I will tell you this. It does have, you know, a little rub of cereal, which is based on a true story of Adnan Syed, who is up actually, he's getting a, a new trial now um, because of the attention brought to him by cereal. It does have a touch of law and order because it thus far takes place mostly in a police station um, and in interrogation rooms. There is a, you know, a uh, plucky young, not not young, I should say, plucky old weird hippie kind of public defender guy who is played by the man who I can never remember his name, but he was in Oh Brother Where Art Thou and several oh, other things. John Turturro? Yes, him. I can never remember okay. his name for some reason. Um, and he, he plays the kind of hippie public de- defender that is going to be representing our our. I don't even know if he's our hero or not. Our protagonist. Our protagonist, yes. Our main character. And then we have, you know, the gritty old cop who's, you know, savvy and smart and has, you know, obviously has a way about him of solving homicides on the other side of it. And to me, that was a little too cute Mm. for HBO. I thought they were above that. That's where it felt very Law & Order. And to me, I don't like Law & Order. Like, I don't like that show for a reason. Never did. And it was always because it was just a little too cute, like just too fitted. Everything got wrapped up a little bit. Um, So there's that aspect of it. The true detective aspect of it, I guess, is because it's on HBO and because it is, in fact, dark. No one can turn on the light. But (laughs) thus far, I haven't seen anything that indicates, you know, the true detective kind of style that I really enjoyed. And it also... I, I, I don't know. I guess the true detective thing might come from the idea that, you know, you're not really sure whether this guy actually committed the crime or not, and that's going to play out in the eight, next eight episodes. But mm. again, I, there, there was a part of me, and I, you know, maybe they'll pull it together. Maybe it won't just end up being like an eight HBO series long miniseries that feels like a really long Law and Order series yeah. show. Um, but. 
there was part of me as I was watching it last night that thought, you know, this feels like it could have been based on a true story, but it's not. And there are so many true stories out there. I was kind of disgusted that they didn't go with an actual true story. Mm. Um, I was going to say, as you're describing it, I'm thinking back to those promotion, those, those commercials and, and promos. And I'm kind of struck by the decision to shape the story, at least, you know, not as whodunit, you know, some, a woman has been found murdered. We need to find the killer and more of, did he do it? I mean, you're really basically asking the viewers to really, you know, on the one hand, feel tempted to identify with this young Pakistani boy who's kind of, you know, uh, at the center of it. But at the same time, because we know the question is being put to us, that he's been arrested and it looks like he has blood on his hands and evidence is pointing to him, um, it, it seems like kind of an, you know, like, like we, don't, we may not want to uh, identify with him. Um, thinking back to, to our respective favorites, season one of True Detective, if you're going to make a story about a murder, that murder really has to stand out. We have to have we, very early on this sense of we got we to gotta solve this, right? That, that yes. opening scene in True Detective the woman under the tree, this is some messed up you-know-what. This, yes. this is not a routine you know, robbery gone wrong. This is somebody who is Correct. dark and twisted at work, and our heroes have got to figure out who it is before they strikes again. Not, uh, to be, not to be whatever, but it's, the murder has to be special. Yeah. In order to revolve an entire series around it. Um, Twin Peaks, I think, you know, in that first half hour of that show, it becomes very clear the murder of Laura Palmer is the most horrible thing that's ever happened in this town. And it has touched everybody, and they are shocked, and they are scared, and they are horrified. And oh, by the way, more than a few people are scared of this revealing some deep, dark secret they have. Again, and there's and your the impetus for an expanding story. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you, but yeah. the, the thing that's missing in this is that it is a murder story in New York City – of a woman, theoretically, maybe by or by, you know, or framed to look like the cab driver. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it could be a more generic story, and I think that's part of my problem with it. Yeah, um, I also remember hearing this is one of the last projects of the late James Gandolfini, uh, well known as Tony Soprano. And I get, I understand that he had originally they had begun filming it. Uh, sadly, he passed away about a year or two ago. Uh, and then they went back and they re- and apparently he was in the John Turturro role. And I got to say, you know, if you want to say, oh, find me, a, find me a James Gandolfini type, <laughs> John Turturro does not come to mind. Um, <laughs> two very, wow. different, yeah, two very different actors with different personas and styles, and and you know, kind of that would have been a very different show. Yeah, um, and so I don't know whether it's better or worse because of that. Uh, and if, you, if you're describing kind of a hippie public defender. James Candelfini <laughs> does not come to mind. But again, that could have been something that Totoro brought to the role. Um, you know, you, you never really know how that was originally cast. It could have just been, you know, a good public defender who's kind of, you know, been around a while or what have you. Um, but but Totoro shows up wearing Birkenstock, so it's kind of, you know, mm. a given. So I guess a, a question, and I'll try to catch it on demand, and maybe if I... I would spend uh, your time watching The Vanishing Women. It's so good, okay. um, as I've mentioned, and it's true. And um, and as you guys know who have been listening to the show, for those of you who are not familiar, The Vanishing Women is a true series that has been running on ID Discovery. It just completed. It is available online and on demand. I would suggest watching that. It's fascinating and interesting. And it's a true story of six missing and murdered women in Chillicothe, Ohio. And 
a man is going on trial for one of the murders this month. And so they have a continuation of the series coming out later this summer. Oh, actually, Jose, I was wondering, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, and I'd wondered if uh, kind of the media scrutiny and coverage that comes with a television series being built around a series of unsolved murders, whether that would, you know, shake something loose, whether there would be see any, any, you know, somebody would see it and think of something or remember something or, and, you know, it'll be really break in the case. It will be very interesting to see what happens with that. Um, the man who was arrested for the one specific murder they have alluded to and suggested but have not come out and said that they believe that he has at least information about some of the other women mm-hmm. and may, in fact, be involved. But that, again, is all speculation by you know reporters, et cetera, because the police aren't saying anything because it's an ongoing investigation. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it, it, I was going to say, I think you're, you, you kind of put your finger on it with um, – the night of even the even the dangling proposition title, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, every, I don't know. It's just something's missing, and I can't well, figure it out. Maybe they'll well, you know at least another word. Surprise me, <laughs> right? Right. The night of something. It's it's got half a title, half a cast, half a mood, half a plot, half a story. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And then again, maybe it'll surprise me. I will say this: the 90 minutes went by very fast. So obviously well acted and well filmed, et cetera. But for someone who, you know, is really a I like to consider myself a connoisseur of this genre, mm. this did not live up to my expectations in any way, shape, or form. So I am really hoping that episode two steps it up because I didn't connect with many characters. And as I've told you, I think the plot has I don't know that it can carry eight episodes. I just don't yeah. know. I don't see how it does it. Maybe it'll oh, get. Uh, maybe it'll get half an Emmy. We have to decide which half. <laughs> Bottom half, the top half. But uh, you know, it's it's funny you mention that because we we made a reference to True Detective. Um, I think you know most people would say the first season was, if not a masterpiece, then uh, really well done, really compelling. You know, great performances. A lot of people really disappointed by the second season. Got more and more convoluted. Um, and they've been very del- – the word of a third season has been very sparse over at HBO. The show's not canceled, but it's also not um, – no word of when season three will, will come and who will be in, in it and, and themes of all that. Um, you know, maybe HBO was kind of looking – kind of hedging the bets and looking for some other great gritty crime uh, detective series. Well, and it's it, something to fill that Game of Thrones spot. Yeah, Um well, maybe what they'll do is they'll set a gritty true detective series in the world of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I found the beheaded body right over me. <laughs> I, again, I just feel like this is going to be much more character-driven than plot-driven, and those type of shows don't usually interest me. It, it, it sets a high bar. You need to have a really um, – well, actually, okay, here's the thing. I think thinking back to one of some of the favorites, like the plot, you know, even if people had gripes about the plot of the first season of True Detective, you know, the performances of McConaughey and Harrelson, you know, they had created two really interesting characters. See, and that's how I feel about the second season is that even though a lot of people felt it was very convoluted, I found it to be very entertaining and well acted and I still enjoyed it. Maybe not as much as the first, but, you know, that was because yeah. it was so different. As you say, you know, we we could really dissect season one or season two and just make the observation that when your murder victim is a terrible person, 
you don't care as much. Yes, <laughs> right? there is that to be said. It looks yeah. like, you know, a, a case of justice. We're not outraged. We're not driven to see this. Uh, uh, There's a lot of blending in season two of who good people are and who bad people are. Yeah. And I think that is the one thing that was really about the true detective series is that it showed that people, both good and bad sides of good people and quote unquote bad people. You know, when I think of really good people with a bad side, uh, Mickey, sitcom stars come to mind. Uh, <laughs> is there any show that's featuring them playing games or anything like that? <laughs> uh, yes. In fact, coming up, we're going to go a little bit lighter, as ABC has chosen to do. And we're going to talk about family game night. And what does that mean in our America? I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Yes, I used to use Arawax. If they've added plastic or something that gives a better shine, I'll use it again. Shine that lasts is all I want. Plastic? Sounds good. Well, I've got a light-colored floor, and the brand I use now makes it yellow. So if the Arawax people add more plastic and it won't yellow, great. I like the idea of plastic. Introducing new Arawax with 50% more plastic. Ladies, we heard you. Introducing Popeye's all-new comic strip glasses featuring Popeye, olive oil, sweet tea, and bad old voodoo, too. They're yours to keep when you buy a 69-cent soft drink. You can collect a different glass each week. Stop by Popeye's for all-new comic strip glasses. Yours to keep when you buy a 69-cent soft drink. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know, what could possibly be more fun than playing board games and those old traditional games like Pictionary or categories or things like that. Well, what if you just sat around the television, the couch on the television, watching other people play games <laughs> or celebrities playing games? And yet somehow ABC has decided to make this decision, uh, and apparently seems to be getting decent ratings. It's been brought back. Say, um, uh, Mickey, is, is ABC's Game Night uh, the capitulation of Western civilization, or is it a sign of hope that we all want to bond together and share the same experiences of playing games? Um, I think maybe it's a little more of the latter than the former. I, I just do. I feel like ABC is making an effort here to get some really family-friendly programming on that people will still want to watch. And that is the key part there because they can put family-friendly programming on, but if no one wants to watch, then it really does no good. Um, you've also seen NBC lining up for a comedy night again. They used to be known for their Thursday night lineup. CBS is working on a comedy lineup. I think they're finding that, and this is relatively common in media, that if you know the more dire the situation is in the real world, the more people want to be watching comedies versus dramas as entertainment. And the ABC Family Game Night, which, you know, they have celebrities playing these games, this week happened to feature Snoop Dogg, who ended up losing Family Feud on a weed question. So there you go. There's, <laughs> right. your, there's, your, there's your new uh, family value show for you right there. That, I think, says more about our culture than anything and the fact that, you know, I grew up listening to Snoop Dogg. I have a stepson now who is in his 20s. So I'm technically the grown-up in the house, but I would watch this because Snoop Dogg is on it. Yeah. Um, I will give them a point for unexpected plot twists when having Snoop Dogg botch a weed question. Right? Who uh, saw that one coming? Yeah. The, the next question uh, on my mind, 
isn't this uh, the programming that Michael Strahan uh, shifted to after being on Kelly and Michael for years and years? Because it was either this or the witness protection program after Kelly was coming after him. Yes. Yes. This is all. He is now actually on GMA. He's done some interviews already for Good Morning America. So, yes, he is part of the ABC family as well. And he's doing some hosting of these game shows and it was the the pyramid the ten thousand yeah, dollars he's doing the, yeah he's doing the pyramid um and you know we've also seen the match game being brought back we've seen family feud being reinvented for the umpteenth million time but i think that there's something to the idea of holding these on a sunday night specifically in the summer when kids may or may not have to get up you know for school or something else in the morning is a time for the family to get together and watch tv and even though it's a silly game, at least it's more interactive than just sitting in front of a television and watching a show, I suppose. Will I watch this particular lineup? Probably not. But I do believe it's, there are a lot of people who will find this to be a very welcome change to the, as you mentioned, dark and gritty films and shows that we are being subjected to on a daily basis. And for those of you who have ever watched Face Off, which I absolutely adore, it's a it's a competition where they do makeups and very I mean, elaborate makeups for movie sets and for photo shoots and things like that. And what I realized in watching this just as it started a few years ago was that all of those that were getting into the development of these characters, every single one of them imagined every character that we know, quote, darker Mm. and grittier. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did a dark Alice in Wonderland? Wouldn't it be great if we did a dark Ronald McDonald? You know, what if we did a really (laughs) dark? And you're like, nah, maybe just don't do the dark unicorn. Like, that's not necessary. My Little Grim and Gritty Pony. Yes. Uh, By the way, there is a My Little Pony movie coming out, and Patton Oswalt is going to be voicing one of the ponies, and I'm just going to leave that there. I'm, I'm not even going to react to it. I'm leaving it there as well. Um, now, I'm kind of left. Look, if you want to bring back the, the you know, family feud, fine. If you want to bring on the Hatfields and McCoys or have an actual genuine family feud, I think that would make it more interesting. Um, I guess you're right that HBO has trademarked Sunday nights. Uh, we're going to give you three hours of death, dismemberment, uh, grim, gritty, pestilence, adultery. Um, basically, by by eleven o'clock, you know, Sunday night, you'll be ready to kill yourself. Um, everything well, in life again, is not exactly programming that families can watch or parents Correct. can watch with children at all. If your family is getting together and watching. Uh, <laughs> The only family that gets together and watches Game of Thrones are the Mansons. Um, <laughs> the so yeah, there's room for that. I, I've never been a diehard fan of the the, the game show genre, uh, other than maybe Celebrity Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so maybe something where you're like, okay, you know, I feel smart, and it proves to me that celebrities are idiots who don't pay attention to the news, don't pay attention, have never picked up a book, things like that. But. Um, uh, although I guess you know the, the the other lesson. Okay, actually, I I do have a game show that I I have come across. It was just last night sitting on the couch with Mrs. Campaign Spot. Uh, we came across it on demand, so I can't even tell you what um uh what, what channel it's on. Okay. The name of the show is called First Impressions, mm-hmm. and actually features for a competition show. It features a pretty interesting uh, lineup. The host is Freddie Prince Jr. Ooh. Oh, I have seen this. They come okay, out and, and do impressions. Yeah, and Dana Carvey, formerly of Saturday Night Live, one of my all-time favorite members of that, and also um, Steve Carell, 
the voice of Gru, Gru, um, and various other comedies is there. And so they are there as kind of like the you know the judges and coaches. Uh, they bring on three comedians who are basically known for doing impressions, and they just give them pe- they do the people they've practiced, and then kind of on the fly, can you do these celebrities? Um, and some of them are like spooky good. Uh, last night there was one a guy who did Christopher Walken, not sing songy, just direct and slow, and the eyes staring at you, Mickey. <laughs> it kind of just made you feel like he was plotting to kill you. Uh, you should I, go on the show. You could do them, and you could do Sean Connery. <laughs> Take off your yes, okay. Uh, yes, exactly. Take off your panties. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting because sometimes you'll get like um, uh, there was some guy who was doing it, Daniel Radcliffe, the actor who plays Harry Potter. Maybe it was the best impression of Daniel Radcliffe I've ever seen. I don't watch enough of him outside of the Harry. Like, if he said, "Oh, I'm doing Harry Potter." I know that, you know, it would have been fine. But he was doing the actor, and I've just not seen the actor enough um, to judge that. But so it was interesting. And if you like watching ones I've come across that doesn't make my skin crawl that I've actually found to be very interesting is to tell the truth. Mm, They have brought that back. And some really interesting people on there. For those of you unfamiliar with to tell the truth, there's three people lined up. One of them is the real person. The other two people are imposters, and Betty White is one of the guest judges on this, by the way. Um, and she's, she's fantastic. Every, every game show, I believe. I think so, and it's fantastic. And you know, you learn a little bit about you know trivia, pop culture, history, etc. Um, we last episode of that I saw they had the man who taught Channing Tatum to strip. Well, see. <laughs> Got our attention. We can't wait to see that again in another movie. I was gonna say, do they do they have to then demonstrate or something? Or you know, yes, is there a YouTube video? At the end. <laughs> and he was bitter party of one because huh. apparently Channing did not use him on the movie at <laughs> all. Not in his advisor. Not as anything. Ironically, he looked just like Christopher Farley. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of look like a guy that would sell you watches. But you're not going to amount to Jack Squad. Well, anyway, these are our options. Now, this is a, this is a fun game, but I don't think any of these game shows are nearly as fun as Trivial Tuesday. And Mickey will be giving us an update on that right after this. Maybe we should live without the wisecracks. Let's face it. You can feel uneasy about your bathroom. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. For au gratin and scalloped, tender russet potatoes, tangy cheddar cheese, celery, and just the right blend of spices and herbs. And for crisp and tender hash browns, a touch of mild sweet onion, discover Betty Crocker au gratin, scalloped, and hash brown potatoes. They taste great because they've got great things in them. After testing thousands of different varieties of corn, Del Monte discovered number 216. It builds up great natural sugar content and tender corn kernels. Yet every year, Del Monte tests over 1,500 different varieties trying to better it. I don't know why. How can you beat corn like this? The more you know about corn, the better for Del Monte. We don't know where Jeff picked up his cold. Maybe somebody left one on the bathroom glass. Maybe not. But why not get rid of this germ carrier and put up a Dixie bathroom cup dispenser? With Dixie cups, you don't spread golds. 
you throw them away. Now don't misunderstand. When you keep your bathroom dispenser filled with Dixie cups, it doesn't mean your children won't ever pick up a cold again. They'll just have to go somewhere else to find one. Oh my God, you guys, this has been the best day ever. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And one of our branch projects of this program is Mickey's Twitter game, Trivial Tuesday. Uh, she usually puts out some great question, some sort of open-ended uh, uh, question and kind of surveys our listeners, anyone who happens to be on Twitter that Tuesday night. Um, Mickey, by any chance, did, did mischievous Shiloh get in the way again this week? <laughs> I, I don't want to blame my dog, um, so we'll go with Pokemon Go. The dog Instead. ate your Trivial Tuesday question, I think. Yes. Okay. Yes, Shiloh ate my Trivial Tuesday question. Actually, it was, you know, it was just such a crazy day, and I apologize, listeners. We did not get a Trivial Tuesday out this week. However... Because we do, as you all know, record this show on Wednesday, today is actually National French Friday. And I didn't even know that was a holiday, but I went about looking throughout Twitter. There were several lists of French fries ranked. Now, in my opinion, and I need to get this clear, there are fresh cut French fries and then there's everything else. Like everything Mm. else just falls beneath that. So if you were going with the type of chain restaurant, per se, that serves French fries. For me, it's Five Guys is number one. Then Chick-fil-A. Then you get into Arby's Curly Fries, I think, are right up there. Um, Rally Fries. And then you can go down that list exactly, you know, whatever you prefer. Now, do you guys see any problems with my list? You know, I'm looking online. I'm seeing people saying that there's eight different types. You know, people arguing about curly Q versus waffles, correct, um, and things like that. I'm trying because I'll be honest. Due to um, you know arguments about carbs and things like that, I, uh, the food that I have found it easiest to give up is French fries. That is so like the hardest thing for me. Interesting, because you know, it can be like French fries. I, I love meal. Uh, I guess here's a question: Would you, would you do you eat your fries like plain, or do you have your fries? You have to have a ketchup or a dip or cheese on top of them or something. Because almost any bad fries, you put cheese and bacon on top. Right, they're not such bad fries. Right, that was one of my arguments this morning involving shoestring potatoes. Because someone said, "Well, if you put cheese on them, then they're good." I'm like, "Well, then they're cheese fries, and that doesn't count. Like, it has to be a good fry that stands on its own." We can and a pickle. Put yeah, and, and I am someone who top of kale. I'm open to trying aiolis and things like that, you know, who, who like to have the palm frites and, and dipping it into mayo, aiolis, et cetera. I'm open to that. But I'm a Heinz ketchup girl. So bottom line, if I have fries and Heinz ketchup, I'm solid. Now, if you want to throw cheese and bacon on top of that, I am in for that as well. Of course, I can't actually eat that now. But if I could, it would make me so happy. And the fact that you say things like, perhaps was the easiest thing in the whole world for me to give up, doesn't even make sense to me. Well, I'm going to observe shoestrings. They're really just ones that have been through a paper shredder. They're, they're just almost too thin and disorganized to get any good scooping of ketchup or... Agreed. Uh, I don't even understand like the purpose of those. Like, I, I'm down with wedges. I'm, I'm down with steak fries. Yeah. Wedges I are love practically a curly fry. potato. Yeah. I think it comes and, down and- to math. I think the thinner you cut the fry, the more of the fry then becomes the surface, which is, of course, the source of the crispy fried taste. So shoestrings give you more crispy fried taste because there's more surface and less potato, mathematically. Are you upset that we're disrespecting shoestring fries? Not at all. I'm I'm also in the position where eating fries is not good, and I'm trying to stop. So I'm trying to help and draw encouragement from the debate. 
<laughs> well, I, I would argue, Dave, that actually, you know, the, the, the structural integrity of the group of shoestrings is not up to snuff to what I'd like. Whereas a, a simple potato wedge, you can, if, if uh, depending on your views on double dipping, the potato wedge is always going to have a good proportion of potato to sauce. Correct. Or ketchup. Whereas shoestring, it's it it's 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 like a bird's nest. It's chaos. It's all kind of you know structure. And you have to together. grab like three or four shoestrings to make it make sense, or else you're you've got ketchup like dripping off the end. But you can put a pile of them on your burger and combine your burger and fries, and the shoestrings have that fried taste because they're almost all surface in the oil, all getting crispy. So it really is the place for shoestrings is on the burger. Once again, I'm going to disagree and go back to my fresh cut fries of the best. And I will cite for Manny sandwiches as proof of this. And I will also suggest that that is the, the perfect way to eat them, Jim, is covered in salt and malt vinegar and a little bit of Heinz ketchup. <laughs> okay. A Pramani, if I had to have a French fry on my sandwich, which strikes me as redundant, I might go with shoestring. Because it's almost like sliced onions or something. It's, it, the consistency would go very well with that. But um, my guess is that everyone's going to have a, a strong opinion about French fry physics. Oh, I, I have every reason to believe that. I've already been hammered all day today on social media. So I look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say and uh, hopefully explaining just how wrong they are on this. And I've right made I my am. position clear. I'll stand on that. Thank you. And I will stand on mine being that fresh cut fries are the best. Permanor Butters puts them on their subs, which are fantastic. And as I mentioned, there's no better way to eat them than with salt and malt vinegar and ketchup. <laughs> I so look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say, though, because I know that you cannot just be on team shoestring, team curly, or in fact, team fresh cut like I am. So please do let us know. We have come yet to another end of our show. I cannot believe this. As Jim always says, it is the fastest hour in my week. And I absolutely love the time that we spend together. We'll be back here again next week. You can find us on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Please do like us on facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show, iTunes, Spreaker, and some of your local radio stations. Looking forward to seeing you next week. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. Dave Perkins is behind the board. And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. Meet me in a restaurant. Meet me on the top of the world. Meet me and we'll talk the language of love. I'll meet you anywhere. Meet you on a boring floor Meet me and we'll fly